Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to the second installment in our Jacob's Ladder review series. Today we are reviewing Jacob's Ladder. This is your co-host Corbin. And I'm Alan. And if I sound kind of weird, it's because I'm sick and doctor doesn't exactly know what's wrong with me. It's nothing bad. It's something like it's just like a virus has been happening and going around. But yes, I'm sick. So I probably will sound weird for this recording. From Alan's telling of his past 24 hours, it sounds like he may have been living Jacob's ladder. Pretty much. Yeah. So the last 24 hours I woke up and well, I tried to go to bed because I felt weird. I was sensitive all over my body. And so after I finished Jacob's letter the night before this recording, I went straight to bed and they would wake up in 45 minute intervals until eventually I woke up at 3 a.m. in a cold sweat and felt fantastic. (laughs) I wake up, so wake up, I go finally go back to sleep and actually sleep until my alarm goes off this morning and I go to work. And I feel fine up until about noon. And then the same thing happens again. And so I go to the doctor and she goes, uh, I don't know. You don't have the flu, but uh, we don't exactly know what's going on with you. It's probably just some virus. So that's currently where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, I think you may have been slipped the HDA ladder drug. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, listeners, don't be confused. This is titled Jacob's Ladder, and we did review the original Jacob's Ladder film that came out, uh, I, I don't know, it's almost been 30 years, if it it may have been 30 years ago when it uh, was first released, and for whatever reason, they decided to remake the film. It's yeah. N- it's not like a direct remake, uh, but nevertheless, it does take a number of story beats and somewhat updates them. So if you haven't heard our review for the first Jacob's Ladder film, then I highly recommend that you go check that out. And yes, this review has been a long time coming, and it's not completely our fault because, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, Correct me by memory if I'm wrong. Wasn't this supposed to be released much earlier in 2019? So we scheduled the original Jacob's Ladder to be recorded, uh, I think, end of January last year. And we were did that because the next week, I believe, or the next month, it was going to have, it was gonna, supposed to be releasing the new one. And then that date came and went, and there was no update. And so I pulled it off the schedule and replaced it with something else. And then eventually, I think August, end of August, it actually finally came out. And so, yeah, it was supposed to come out beginning of, uh, I think, beginning of February or end of January in 2019. But for whatever reason, got pushed back until August, or maybe they just gave a date that was just like a, a template. I don't know what happened. But yes, for whatever reason, it didn't come out the date that we had initially thought it was going to come out. Yeah, and this is exactly what happened with Cloverfield, I remember, because we were going to do Cloverfield 3, and then surprise, it came out a lot sooner than we thought. And then we also thought Cloverfield 4 was going to come out that year. Surprise, that was Overlord, a completely different film. So yeah, I thought, honestly, Jacob's Ladder, this remake, was kind of one of those talked about movies. I actually thought we may may never see this movie. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of films do get announcements and very, very early types of pre-production, and then nothing ever happens with them. They just sit in limbo forever and a day. And I thought that's exactly what was going to happen with this one. But it's it's true. We have seen the 2019 Jacob's Ladder film. And if you were a Dish subscriber, then you were lucky enough to watch the premiere on Dish Network in late July, I believe. But for everybody else, we had to wait till that came out on disc, which tells you something. Uh, yeah, August 23rd, 2019. And this film is directed by David M. Rosenthal, who directed last, well, 2018's Netflix film, How It Ends. I haven't seen it. And in 2015, he directed The Perfect Guy, which also stars Michael Ely, who 
is the titular character of this film. Now, this is interesting. It was written by Jeff Bueller. Alan and I, we have reviewed a Jeff Bueller film here on the podcast, which was 2019's Pet Cemetery. That's right. Yeah, and this director, too, I've heard of the movie The Perfect Guy, but looks like it doesn't look too great, so I haven't, outside of the poster, that's about all I know about it. Compared to what we saw and what we judged with Pet Cemetery, not looking too great before going into this movie. No, and I also saw Jeff Bueller's other 2019 horror film, The Prodigy, which I did not like at all. You can check out my thoughts on that over on Letterboxd. Go ahead and follow me over there. And yeah, Pet Cemetery. go ahead and listen to our review of that film. We do discuss the writing and how it connects with the novel because I did read the novel for that. And he's also written the, well, by the time this recording is released, it should be either out or coming out within a week or so of the new Grudge film. Interesting. And as the as of the time of this recording, the Red Band trailer just dropped. It looks pretty good, actually, but I'm not getting my hopes up uh, considering his previous oeuvre. But nevertheless, 2019 was Jeff Bueller's year getting at least three horror films out. I mean, this guy's really on a roll. And yeah. he did write the initial uh, draft of this script, um, which was back in 2013, actually. Oh, man. So has this been like stuck in development since then? It was announced in 2013 that they were going to kind of kickstart this film for some reason. And he was in the process of writing this script. And he had had success because five years previous, he wrote The Midnight Me Train, which was a Bradley Cooper film. So they tapped him to do this movie. And apparently the producers of the film, according to The Hollywood Reporter, wanted to make this movie an homage rather than a remake. So still in 2013, there there was a director attached, James Foley, but he left the project. So in 2016, David Rosenthal came on board. 2016, that was three years since this film's release. Man. So nobody really knew this was getting made and this released to absolutely no fanfare. You weren't going to see any trailers on YouTube or TV, anything of the kind. I doubt very many people know a remake of Jacob's Ladder even came out because Jacob's Ladder in and of itself is a cult classic. It's not like this widely known film, I would say. Right. Yeah, that one's definitely more culty um, when you compare a lot of horror movies that are like it. And yeah, it's interesting to me that this movie, I guess, didn't get a box office or a theater release anywhere. Like I'm looking right here on the numbers and it says domestic box office, zero dollars. Yeah. So I guess it was just straight to Blu-ray and DVD, which honestly doesn't surprise me because when they had the release date out, usually companies would want to stay around that release date and actually build up hype before that release date actually happens. But like we just talked about, we never heard anything. Once they announced the release date and it came and went, there was no details about what the state was. So my guess is once again, it was probably just a template. And what ended up happening is they, they ended up going for just straight to home media. Yeah, and that's that's the smart option because there was no marketing involved with this film. I thought this was going to be a 2019 January, early February release. That would make absolute sense for this type of film, but like we said, that didn't even happen. And I should say Jeff Bueller didn't just write the script by himself. Sarah Thorpe came in and did rewrites. And Jake Wade Wall does have uh, story credits. And the score of this film was done by Adley Orverson. And just right off the bat, the, sh- the score is very forgettable and it's generic. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, wait a minute. I think I've heard of... I have heard of this composer before. Okay. He did the uh, the score for um, uh, Edge of 17. That's it. Oh, well. I mean, there isn't much score to that movie anyways. But I do... I have seen this man's name on that movie before. On so these before this movie, which I didn't really look into until just now. That's surprising. I didn't know that. 
Mm -hmm. Well, surprisingly enough, they did submit this film to the Motion Picture Association, which rates all theatrical and some um, just directed DVD films such as this one. They did submit it, which does surprise me. They just didn't just release it as unrated. I, this, I don't know why. That doesn't make any sense. But nevertheless, it did get its R rating for language, some violence, sexuality, and drug content. I would say probably the original film has is much more content heavy than this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the original one has a, yeah, a bit more to it when it comes to this kind of content than the new one does. The new one, I don't think there's ever explicitly any nudity in it. But it comes close. The old one has like a whole scene where there's a, like the where I think Jezebel is walking around the apartment. Yes. So. Yeah. That there is uh, nudity in. I, I think there's nudity in this film at the very end. We do have that prostitute kind of kind of topless. It's it's weird nudity. It's easily skippable. So if you want to watch this movie, then the nudity does come there towards the very end of the film. Or right. The weird drug sex scene i don't know bizarre yeah anyways another weird coincidence i noticed about this film is that joseph sakura who plays the very weird um druggy vet in the beginning of the film you know who i'm talking about the guy with the mustache yes okay so michael ely who plays jacob and the actor joseph sakura both starred in the intruder which was a horror film that released in 2019 as well Oh, I don't even know if I've heard of that one. I, if you want something that's so bad it's good, absolutely The Intruder, where Dennis Quaid oh, no. is this nut job, um, stalking this black couple he sells his house to. On the box art of The Intruder, they they pulled some headline that that called it a reverse get out, which was the best possible hope they could have of getting people funny. to pick it up. So I do recommend you watch uh, The Intruder listeners and Alan. Gotcha. There, I guess there's also a, a movie that came out in 2015 called The Intruders that stars Miranda Cosgrove in it. And it's also, I guess, a horror movie. Oh, I guess there might not be any relation there, but that's what I came up when I did an IMDb search. The more you know. Yeah. So... When I was watching this movie, the character of Isaac looked yes. very familiar to me. And so I should. naturally looked him up and come to find out the reason why he looks so familiar is because he's Holden in Cabin in the Woods. And he's like, I think he's a nerdy, one of the nerdy guys with the glasses. Mm -hmm. I, he's like, the whole movie, I was like, this guy looks so familiar. Who is he? And then when I saw that he was in Cabin in the Woods, I was like, ah, okay, that's where I've seen him from. Also, if you play PlayStation 4 and you play Detroit Become Human, he was a character in that game. Ah, okay. Well, that also explains a lot more to me because, yeah, he looks essentially, I mean, he is the, uh, like the character of Marcus. That's it. And I also knew him from the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants too. Ah. <laughs> Well, how have audiences, how have critics reacted to this new Jacob's Ladder? Well, currently, this film holds a 3.1 on IMDb, Ooh. probably the lowest rated film we have ever reviewed here. Not, oh, it's close. Uh, Birdemic definitely takes the cake uh, for the lowest right. reviewed, but it is definitely one of the lowest we have <laughs> ever reviewed. Probably second, if I'm not mistaken. And... For a critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, only 5% of critics out of 100% approve this film. So 95% disapprove of it, 34% audience score, and a 31 meta score. Absolutely abysmal. Yikes. That's, that's really, really bad. I mean, especially compared to the original, which has critical acclaim to it. Seeing its remake or homage, I guess they want to put it just have abysmal scores is at the same time surprising and not surprising to me because we see a lot of remakes coming out nowadays that don't seem to live up to how and quality wise the original that the original adaptation so this is a surprise and no surprise me i'm surprised that it didn't i'm not surprised that it didn't get good reviews but i am surprised about how low these scores are yeah, and like you said, compared to the original Jacob's Ladder, which 
currently holds a 7.5 on IMDb, has a 72% critics approval rating and 84% audience approval rating with right. a 62 Metascore, which are generally means are generally positive reviews. Yes, the first one is uh, praised and loved by both critics and audiences. This one is just absolutely hated by both. Pretty much, yeah. It, it sounds like uh, it almost sounds like it may have even been review bombed, or people just not really caring to see it in the first place because there is really no good reason that I can think of to remake Jacob's Ladder in the year twenty nineteen. No, yeah, just came out of nowhere. Just bizarre remake. I don't know who held the rights, if the rights relapsed or if they sold them off for a profit. It's strange, but I'm going to guess right now this property will probably be dead forever. I don't think we're ever going to see any more done with it. Right. My guess is um my guess is it was put under a subsidiary of a bigger filmmaking company and they did it so they could also so they could keep their rights that's my guess i i don't really know if that's correct but that's my guess right now is this is why they decided to make this i did check on imdb that holds a 3.1 because 1219 people have rated it as such and eight critics are accounted for on that meta score so all of this is very low mind you that's true so yeah, there also aren't a lot of scores here to consider it, I guess. What I would consider to be a solid score. Because with only about 1,200 reviews, and as you said, eight critics rating it, it's also not a lot to for me to consider to be, oh, this is definitive, this is a concrete score. This could wildly change at any moment with one 100 or 110 given to the score who knows maybe this itself will become a cult classic in 20 years <laughs> maybe Who's to say we don't know but the question is i don't know did alan and i like this film well that's what we're about to talk about so if you haven't seen the new jacob's ladder film and you don't want it spoiled for you go ahead and click pause right now because we are about to talk spoilers go ahead and check out the film come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it Jacob Singer, played by Michael Ely, is recovering from the traumatic death of his brother Isaac, played by Jesse Williams, while they are both stationed in Afghanistan. One day outside the VA hospital where Jacob works, a disoriented vet named Paul Rudiger, played by Joseph Sikora, tells Jacob his brother is still alive. Paul takes Jacob to the subway where he says that vets had their own safe underground network, but they're being hunted by demonic forces. Jacob keeps seeing a demonic old lady, and while talking with Paul, she pushes him in front of the tracks. Except, the police can't find any sign of Paul. Taking matters into his own hands, Jacob travels underground and does find Isaac alive. But first, not before fighting with hooded thug demons in his house, telling him to keep his mouth shut, and then seeing scary faces in the subway tunnels. Back at home with Isaac, Jacob and his wife Samantha, played by Nicole Bahari, and their son Gabriel, are all worried about their long-lost relative, especially once he begins to have a seizure and they must place him in an ice bath. While all of this is going on, Jacob is trying to find the source of the drug HDA, also known as the latter. His friend Dr. Hoffman, played by Guy Burnett, says he'll help him investigate. The stranger visions Jacob keeps seeing are only getting worse, and to top it off, he's reliving events such as the first time he met his wife, who was originally his brother's girlfriend, and their wedding day where his brother ranted about it publicly and punched his brother. Samantha now fears for Jacob, and Jacob fears his brother and wife are plotting against him. Finally, the truth is revealed that Jacob was never married to Samantha, but in fact she has been Isaac's wife all along, and his PTSD, fueled by the HDA drug, has caused him to believe he's lived his brother's life. The brothers confront Dr. Hoffman, who they find out has been the culprit behind the drug this whole time. When Isaac attempts to call the police, Hoffman pulls a gun, but Jacob jumps in front of the bullet and tackles Hoffman out of the building, which results in both of their deaths. Seemingly on his way to hell, Jacob is wheeled on a gurney by the demonic woman. That is, until she changes into a nurse of light, where Jacob ends up in the field where he has fond memories of him and his brother as children, as credits roll. So I do want to say this off the bat. 
while I think we have made it pretty clear that uh, we're not extremely fond of this movie, I will say that the twist that uh, this movie is more or less the story of a man's jealousy becoming him becoming so jealous of his brother's life that he once he takes this drug he ultimately imagines this exact same situation but with him in his brother's shoes i like that idea where it's just this man's jealousy overtaking him and he's imagining a life that he will he wishes was his but because of whatever reason uh he fails to actually live a life like that. I actually surprisingly in likes that idea that the movie was going for. Uh, but I think the problem is it's the execution of that idea that I think really makes this movie fall flat. But that aside, I like this idea that it's this movie is built off of just complete jealousy from this from our main character, but isn't that isn't necessarily revealed to us until the very end. And then we find out that, oh, everything that we've seen is just built off of this character's desire. I agree. This is very much a almost 1950s-esque Hitchcockian plot that I think within like a Hitchcock-type directorial hands, in removing the supernatural element from it, could have been a very well-done film, a very intriguing plot. Because I, I agree, about halfway through the movie, I figured Jacob... And his brother probably had switched lives. And I was actually actually hoping that would be the case because I did like that for the twist. And I was glad that I was right. And I think they provide enough hints within the first act. And then even in the second act, things seem to become off kilter. That once that reveal does come, I am satisfied with it. But as Alan said, the way the film is executed... It has a lot of issues concerning that, and it really does fall flat in that way. Right, right. And I, I think that this idea could work if they still incorporated those supernatural elements where it's just this man's desire to want to be what his brother is so badly that one of his ways of dealing with that is to take drugs, which as we as the movie discusses, though the drug that they take, HDA, causes some pretty severe um memory relapses and so while we do have flashbacks of uh our main character in afghanistan um which i feel is probably one of the things that really should have been brought in farther and explained or explored some more but aside from that i think that it's the supernatural elements i think could work in this setting where it's just the jealousy that this character has he's making up things for himself I, I like that, and it's the drug that's doing it to him. Once again, the execution is kind of key here, and it, it kind of falls flat in a lot of places. Even though I like the idea, I think that's the pro- I think that that's probably my best way of explaining the, my thoughts on this film as a in a general sense as a whole is I like the idea, but its execution I think is honestly horrible because of how it decides to execute certain things and is going for things, but. The way that it goes about it, I think it's just weak. Yeah, especially because the film does open with Afghanistan, which has been updated from Vietnam in the previous film. And the Vietnam portion was sprinkled throughout the previous movie, and it ultimately came full circle because that's where you learned um, the government bombed them with gas, um, which caused them all to have these weird psychotropic drug-type trips. Right. That's not really brought into this movie. The Afghanistan portion is just Jacob's way of kind of kind of having this weird um, coping mechanism where instead of re- remembering himself on the operating table, he remembers his brother on the table and he essentially constructs a false reality, um, this really glorious reality for himself because he was a bum. Because we know from his past, his brother was this drunkard and this partier. Come to find out that was actually him. So when he constructs a new life for himself from the drug, he constructs this really wonderful fantasy where he gets the girl, he gets the son, he gets the nice house, and he gets to help people being a doctor. All of that is great. And especially when I say it out loud, it's great. But 
I'm really sad to see this movie uh, comes across very cheap and also as if they have no real idea how to pace a story or how to, I don't know, I guess thread the plot in a way that makes sense. Because like I said, they kind of bring up the Afghanistan thing and then drop it and it really has no significance later on. And they have these ideas sprinkled out here like... uh Isaac said he dreamed of him and his brother in like a wheat field, like going to go on some fun adventure together. And then that's like the final shot of the movie. Right. I don't know. I, I really just am disappointed by those elements. Yeah. And I think where this movie fails, or at least has a really hard time in dealing with uh, how it's structured is because of two things. For one, it's editing. And for two, yeah. it's script, because in the original, we do have flashes back to the main character in Vietnam, but those flashbacks are our main character more or less waking up in reality. He's waking up and trying to, in some ways, even battle his the purgatory that he's in, right? So those moments where he wakes up is reality, whereas in this movie, it's kind of hard to judge what's real and what's not. Um uh, when we get the twist, it kind of feels like that ending is more or less reality. We find out that it was just him being jealous and him imagining this whole thing the whole time. Um, and that the Afghanistan scenes are more or less the beginning of the end for this character. That's where things really took a turn for him is when he got caught in that ambush. My problem is with the way that this movie is edited makes it feel like the Afghanistan scenes are kind of insignificant. And that every other scene after that doesn't really do a good job at weaving together how we trudge through this movie. It feels like they just stuck two scenes together that maybe even hardly remotely relate to one another. Whereas in the original, because that movie is edited so well, the movie flows really, really well and feels great to watch because everything kind of leads into the next thing. Whereas in this movie, and you kind of need that with a movie that's as abstract as Jacob's Ladder is. I think that's part of the reason why I think I found this movie ultimately to just be not great because nothing felt, nothing was, uh, once again, execution wise, nothing felt like it was being executed the way that it, the best way that it could be in order for it to make emotionally impactful. I thought it was an interesting choice that a lot of the major plot reveals of the original film, which we get from the transition between the second to the third act, those are mostly revealed straight up front. Um, within the first act of the movie, especially towards right. the end, talking about the drug and the ladder. And he's got this vet explaining everything to him. And I'm like, wait, wait, that didn't come till far later into the movie. And uh, also, this is the loss of his brother instead of the loss of his son in the other movie. So to differentiate themselves, they kind of like stuff everything up front and then and then the problem with that is then we're not really given a, anything to care about throughout right. the rest of the movie. Uh, they play their, they show all of their cards far too quickly in this movie. Whereas the original film created great suspense and strung it along and made you question what was real because they did that throughout the movie is kind of this weird thing where Jacob would go between two different lives and, uh, you genuinely questioned which one was real. This one, like I said, um, it, it really kind of misses the mark by uh, showing the big twist or the prestige really close to the beginning. And then so once the true plot is revealed, it's just too late. It's too late. We've been given nothing to care about. And now I don't see anything else going forward with the plot. The only other good thing that I'll say about this movie is Jacob's transition from his right mind to insane, I thought was played fairly well. I yeah, thought I, that that worked for me. I can agree with that. And I do like the sacrificial nature at the end of the movie. Um, I don't like, though, that... Jacob is being wheeled by a demonic woman, but because he like changes his perspective or something, she becomes an angel, which was that ridiculous worldview. The doctor sprouted out towards him where he's like angels and demons are basically the same thing. It's just based on your perspective. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. So this line, <clears throat> this line uh, was said in the original. I think they, I think they say it word for word, but the way that they, once again, the execution, the way they go about exploring this idea is kind of different 
because in the original, it's Jacob holding on to his past life. Yes. And, his, and he's grabbing on and trying to cling on to that as he's slowly sipping into purgatory. And it's the things that's Jezebel mostly that's holding him, they're trying to keep him there. That's what's causing things to get continually worse. And that's why the doctor says to him, well, if you looked at if you looked at things in a different perspective, they're actually angels trying to set you free, right? So that line makes a lot of sense in the context of the original movie. And this line does come up again, but the problem is because of the character of the doctor or the psychiatrist in this case, who plays doesn't no relevance. Really, yeah, he he doesn't have a lot of screen time. There isn't like that angelic presence that he brings on, like he does in the original, or really. I think they've pretty much completely stripped that part out of it. Uh, the problem is, I think, with this one is there's not a whole lot of hope in this movie. Whereas in the original, there's a lot of that. You get a lot of mostly from the doctor, who's always shown in a bright, uh, always shown in bright lights. Whereas in this one, it's really dark, uh, lighting wise, and there isn't a whole lot of uh, hope that really comes out of the situation, except for the very, very, very end of when the character actually sacrifices himself. So, what I think is interesting is how they take. Jacob's Ladder, the original, and all of its ideas, but then kind of strip out all the subtlety and play it pretty much just explaining everything to its audience instead of, you know, leaving a lot of it up for interpretation or a lot of it more a bit more subtle. I wish that they would have done that because that's, I think, what makes Jacob's Ladder, the original, so good is how much they don't explain. Yes, and that that's exactly the problem is this film took all of those concepts and made them literal instead of these, like you said, this is more of a figurative look at a man's emotional life because it's not really important what's real. It's important how Jacob chooses to live his life and ultimately the path he'll decide upon his circumstances. Will he choose this pretty much self-defeating life or will he choose redemption? And the only way he can choose redemption is by facing his past and really going through these hard problems. That's th This movie didn't have any of that. That's the big issue is because the original film hinges not just upon the PTSD of war, but the trauma of the loss of his child, Gabe. This film doesn't have that emotional hinge to invest in Jacob's loss. He finds his brother quickly, and the whole mystery is told, as I just said, up front instead of keeping us in suspense. And like I said, that emotion is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem, too, is they wait until like the last 20 minutes to bring into light how flawed this character is. This character who was the brother is actually the main character. That's the problem is because we have such a bait and switch there at the end, the emotional attachment that we've this movie's been trying to build, I think, just is not there. And yeah. so when they try to build up and say this is what this character needs to learn is self-sacrifice or whatever, it it drops the ball and is more or less confused with how, once again, ex how it wants to execute telling the story. I brought this up during our talk about The Visit, where the message of the movie is saved and not really explored too much until yeah. the very end of the movie. And I think this movie does something kind of similar to that, where they don't really explore a whole lot in terms of what why this character is in this mental state until the very end. Whereas in the original Jacob's Ladder, the whole movie is about him dealing with his past life and having to let go of the things that he loves most. And eventually he has to let go of his son that had died, who which ends up being the thing that saves him in the end. It's that's the thing I think what makes the movie so impactful is how it explores takes a whole, I think two hours or so to explore those ideas. Whereas with this one, they don't really do much exploring. It's very, very surface level and doesn't really trudge too deep beyond uh beyond just the surface, which is unfortunate. Because I once again I like this idea of, you know, the main character is jealous the whole time. That's why that's why he's in this mindset, but they don't trudge very deep into that. And the other problem is we we need a character flaw, not just a character problem, but we need a character flaw because Jacob's character flaw was the death of his son. He totally blamed himself, divorced his wife and abandoned his child and kind of ran off with this lady from the mailroom. Right. And uh, he really has this flaw of living in the past, blaming himself. He really struggles to overcome that, and uh, the way that emotion is played in the original film is so raw and authentic. The problem here is there's no character building, and 
uh, especially in the beginning of the film. And they want it to feel like this hard break from reality because it is for Jacob. So it's supposed to feel almost like a dream where you just pass from one moment to the other and you're in a totally different situation. It's supposed to be jarring, but you still have to build character. You still have to give us some kind of character flaw. Not just this problem that his brother died, you know, for some reason, and right. he wasn't able to save him. And then, like I already mentioned, they get far too worried about the mystery and uh, of trying to find his brother. His brother, brother Isaac, is still alive. So they give the character a problem to figure out, which he does very quickly. But then um, we're never he's never given this character flaw for himself to overcome. It's basically just become this mystery of how can Jacob uh, overcome this paranoia and figure out his past. Right. And even with the brother and the two brother, the brothers' relationship, I feel is really, really weak because we're told pretty early on that there was some there was some event that happened between their lives uh, that caused their relationship to break. Right. We're not really told what exactly that event is until the very end of the movie. But uh, there is this constant idea that's there where the relationship between the two of them there's just there's something that's broken between them right so when it does reveal this come to find out it was all kind of revolving around um a girl yeah it feels <clears throat> really really weak to for that to be the causing factor of their relationship to be tainted in some way it it feels like it was written by a high schooler at that point in the movie because mm -hmm. that's the only thing that broke them apart. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem very realistic to me. It feels like it's just being overly dramatic. Yeah, it does kind of stray into Twilight territory with the whole Jacob, Edward, and Bella love triangle. Yeah. And trying to unravel who whose uh, side is the wife going to be on or, or the girlfriend. And you're right. That's such an, an emotional, I guess, bait and switch, considering the first movie dealt with the death of his young son. And it, like the way it was edited, the way the music um, cued in or cut off really sharply, like when Gabe was hit by the truck and all we saw was just like the ball rolling or the bicycle being crushed. This movie has none of that, unfortunately. Yeah. And that was one of my other issues is they basically use very poor lighting in my in my opinion and just a gray color palette and that's how they define mood not through storytelling but through they think just because of uh our gray color palette lighting that's going to really kind of evoke that effect and it doesn't i i found the movie honestly ugly to watch oh yeah no i and even cinematography wise there's nothing special that they do here either this movie no. is very very bland not just from a lighting side but also from a cinematography side because of the whole movie the only thing that i remember is there's a scene when it's very early very early on where um main character comes home jacob comes home to a wife and she puts down the baby and they he lays down the couch and she laid down, lays down on top of him. And as she leans forward to give him a kiss, the camera follows her in her angle and stays and keeps her straight up and down. Yeah. So when it gets, when it pans over, they're almost perpendicular to the way that they were before. Mm -hmm. That's the, like the only thing in this whole movie that, <laughs> that sticks out to me when it comes to cinematography. And even then, I don't really care or really know what the significance is for that. So yeah, this movie, just from a visual standpoint, just looks looks bland. Well, not to mention they use, they reused the same transition shot a few times of, am, am I correct? Are, are they in Chicago? Oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't look it up. Well, I thought they were in uh, New York, honestly. I don't know. I don't remember what city they're in, but regardless, it's the same transition shot because transition shots are usually sometimes necessary if a character is going from one circumstance to another it would just be simply too jarring for the character to be in his home and then in the next shot he's down by the riverbank many movies do it to great effect um but this one uses that same shot to show jacob's going into the city now from out of the <laughs> suburbs it's the same shot and that looks so cheap and also 
terms of being something being cheap, the CGI in this movie is mm. r- really bad. It's awful. Yeah. There's a scene, and so in the original, there's this, it's kind of hard to explain, but for those who haven't seen it, but there is this, at, at points in this movie, there's this man who's like standing on this cage and has a bag over his head and his head is fidgeting all oh, over the place, yeah. right? Great effect. It's a really cool effect. Yeah. And they do, and the reason why it looks so good is because it, it's all practical. They, I think they slowed down the footage when they were recording and played it normally, and that's how they got that effect. Mm-hmm. Here, they just overlaid that with CGI. And there is a couple of moments, especially towards the end. One of them is when Jacob realizes the life that he's actually living. And then the other one is the uh, the scene with the hooker where she grows black angel wings. And the thing does kind of something similar as the original one does. But you can tell it's CGI and it looks really, really bad and com- completely rips me out of the moment because <laughs> it looks just not good. Well, my worst CGI moment for the movie was when Jacob follows this disoriented vet into a hospital room and then he turns around and the vet is gone and then he looks up on the ceiling and there's this horrible black fuzzy mass that looks like it was made in Microsoft Paint or something that like (laughs) drops down from the ceiling and just kind of runs, runs out. Yeah. I couldn't even believe what I was seeing, this black fuzzy mass up on the ceiling. I I couldn't believe it. I will only say the worst worst CGI that I've seen than this in 2019 was in Keanu Reeves' film Replicas, which of course came out in January. And that is early 2000s level stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of understand it too. This is a directed DVD movie, right? So I'm not expecting a whole lot when it comes to the CG realm, but this is still not good. Yeah, and it's never used for any purpose, it feels like, except yeah. we need a kind of a creepy looking thing to yell at Jacob. Yeah, They never harm him. They never try and coerce him into doing anything, I, I guess, except he runs after the old lady, which I found to be a weird choice. Just this old lady. Um, I don't get like, it either. Yeah, in the original film, it was all practical, and those things looked bizarre. They had a really kind of unique defining style to how they looked. Um, this this movie is just like, what did the last Insidious film do? Okay, let's try and copy that. Yeah, and I think that this movie could have worked better if they just nixed the CGI completely, because they try yeah. to do it to add su- supernatural elements to the movie, right? Uh, once again, that fails because the CGI is not convincing at all. So I wondered if I wonder if I actually I would go as far as to say if they move removed these scenes or just the CGI in general and kept things the way that they were just no CGI I feel like this movie would have been a little bit better than what we have here not the, by a lot but I think it probably would have helped at least maintain us within the film and not yeah. taken us out of it but I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. The one other thing that I did really like in this kind of place towards what I've already said about the end of the film is how his family deals with him when they, when Jacob finds out that he's actually the one on drugs and he's actually the one that's crazy. And his brother is running through the house after him. And he says, you're, you're still our family. We still love you. We're going to help you. And it's just kind of this brother frantically uh, chasing after him. You know, it, it kind of feels like a reverse uh, Cain and Abel where Isaac is more than willing to like be his brother's keeper or help him out. And instead of abandon him to this uh, lifestyle. And I did think it was an interesting twist, I guess, that Dr. Hoffman was bad all along. I got to say, I saw it coming. Um, that seemed pretty obvious. But uh, when you did learn that he Hoffman was trying to help vets, but it was actually killing them, which is actually the the beginning of the film, not Afghanistan, where we see this guy being choked by this um, demon or whatever. Yeah. Um, it it seems like the super natural element may not be real because of the drug. I don't know. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm saying is at that point, I was actually invested in the movie. Um, once Jacob becomes crazy from there on out, I'm, I'm pretty invested except for that kind of weak ending. Yeah. And when this movie first began, I was like, well, this isn't as bad as a 3.1 IMDb. And as we went along and I just saw how much I just 
didn't care. Yeah. I was like, okay, I, I think I understand why this movie's score is as low as it is. Because Jacob's Ladder, once again, does a really good job with subtlety. The original one does. This one is the complete opposite to me. It doesn't really keep a lot of things subtle to its audience. Um, and the mystery isn't really engaging for me. So I don't know. I don't, I might guess once again, like I said at the beginning, maybe they just did it to renew a lease or keep the, keep the title of Jacob's ladder. I don't really know why this was made. I, I don't really have much of an answer for that. Cause it doesn't feel like there's really any significance for it to come out in 2019. Well, are we ready for scores then? I suppose so. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> well then, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Jacob's Ladder? When I first began Jacob's Ladder in 2019, I didn't really know what to expect. I had seen the scores. I, or at least I saw the IMDb score and the, Meta, and the Metacritic score, which were both very low, as we discussed. And I was like, oh, great. So this is going to be one of those movies. And when it began, I was like, okay, this isn't, nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be for about the first 10 minutes or so. And then it got to a point well into the second act where I'm just like, there's not much here. There's very little meat in this movie. And the more I tried to pay attention and more that I tried to become engaged with it, the more I found myself to ultimately not care at the end. And that's because this movie kind of gets sidetracked by keeping the, uh, I guess, mystery there when it comes to the HDA um, and not really having a lot to do with in terms of car character development for a main character. It, it's, it's weird because it's stemming off of a movie that I love. And after watching it for the podcast, I own it on Blu-ray and I want to watch it again at some point. But the problem here is that it's taken that original film and has taken everything that would be cliche about it and has brought it to the forefront whereas the original was not as cliche as a lot of horror movies were because it dealt with things extremely psychologically so at the end of the day yeah jacob's letter 2019 is kind of uh, actually not kind of but is a disappointment to me but at the same time i don't really know exactly what i was expecting so for me i don't really see much of a reason for me to ever come back to this so i'm gonna stay with a three out of ten not recommend for me Jacob's Ladder is a wasteful, cheap remake that adds nothing to improve upon the original. Dim lighting and a great color palette don't establish mood, but rather make the film hard to look at. Performances are fine, but certain visuals like the demonic forces look low budget. Unfortunately, the emotional hinge is missing from the story, which is pivotal to the story of the original film. In fact, what made the first movie so great is the emotional weight it carried by causing us to wonder what was real in this man's life and would he find redemption. At the very least, this movie is not even interesting. The 2019 update is an exercise in trying to recreate a Van Gogh using Microsoft Paint. Folks, don't waste your time on this movie. Jacob's Ladder receives 3 stars out of 10 with a strong not recommend. Well... Well, Glad we, we got that over with. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to come back next week, listeners, with a really exciting movie review series that I know is a lot of people's favorite film and one they have a lot of fond, nostalgic memories for. I know that Alan and I both do. We are kicking off our Back to the Future movie review series, where for the next three weeks, we will be reviewing all three films. I got to say, I'm pretty excited for this. I am too. I actually haven't seen Back to the Future 3 in a while, but I do have a story with this trilogy when we get to that uh, podcast. It's actually kind of funny. So, I'm um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about them. I know that these are, especially the first one, are just Hollywood classics at this point. Yeah, I know we're both excited to tell you our personal stories with the Back to the Future films, and we want to hear your stories as well. So you can already go ahead and start sending us your stories. We're excited to read them and know what you think of this movie and how you remember it as well. And it'll also give me a reason to go back through these special features, which I've never watched the special features for uh, these movies. I own the trilogy on Blu-ray. I, I believe you do as well, Alan. I do, yes. I actually just bought it. Oh, actually, no. I have it. I bought it about a year ago. But yes, I do have it. 
Well, listeners, we're definitely excited for this. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast here. Give it a thumbs up. Share it with your friends and family. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. And especially because you're not going to want to miss um, the next movie review series next week of Back to the Future. So definitely share that with your friends and family. Get them subscribed ahead of time so they won't miss the first episode when it does come out. Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we'll see you next week with Back to the Future. Hey, listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, google or stitcher or your favorite podcast service and while you're at it please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so don't forget to share with your friends and family and we'll see you next week listeners The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.